today in the Marshall Pro Podcast. We have your listener Q&A week in IndyCar episode driven 100% by your submissions on Twitter, Reddit, and the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook group. I am Marshall Pruitt. I cover IndyCars. I have worked in junior open-wheel racing and IndyCar for a really long time. 1986 was my first year. Did that until 2001, working for racing teams, including five Indy 500s, worked in kart, worked in the Indy Racing League, spent a lot of time in Indy Lights, the Formula Atlantic Series, F2000, Super V, you name it. Kind of an older guy, gotta admit, but nonetheless, it's my passion. Sports car racing too, but open wheel first and foremost. So we do this once a week. I send out a call for questions. You fire in a bunch. I try to get to them all, try to do it within an hour and a half or so. Sometimes I win. Sometimes I lose in that regard. We are sponsored by four awesome groups. Cooper Tires. They're the ones who make the tires for the Road to Indy that feeds the IndyCar series. It's it's next generation talent. Also the Justice Brothers, longtime friends, former sponsor of a Indy Racing League team that I co-managed and engineered in the late 1990s. TorontoMotorsports.com, they're kind of my spirit animal. We do a lot of fun stuff together, t-shirts and stickers, a lot of charity angles to things too, so good stuff there. And then finally, Bell Racing Helmets USA, they make our, our helmets and our brains, you know, they're safe, they're simpatico, good, good people. So for this Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, if you've never checked in before, format's pretty straightforward. Open here. Pretty loose, catch up on some random thoughts, things happening in the series, things happening at home as well. Very conversational style. Then we get to your Q&A. If you happen to only want the Q&A, well, I make a concerted effort. Once I'm done to go in and find exactly where the Q&A starts and provide the timestamp in the description. So if all you want is a Q&A, Look in the description. It'll tell you where to go. Last quick note before we get into the little unstructured conversational preamble here. I refer to this show, which I truly love, as my unpolished turd. Hashtag unpolished turd. I leave in all the mistakes. I leave in all the mispronunciations. Uh, my cats sometimes wreak havoc. Uh, my wife will call me to go do stuff. Whatever it is, I just leave it all in because it's a truly honest representation of who I am and what the show is all about. So this is Monday evening, 6.44 p.m. on June 29th, 2020. There are some of you who might be asking, Marshall Pruitt, what in the world is wrong with you? Isn't it your wife's birthday today? And I will say to you, yes, it is. And I would be an absolute heel. I would be a very bad husband if I was ignoring my wife to record the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Thankfully, I got a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. My wife, who's amazing, uh, truly amazing, and we continue to make great progress in her fight against cancer 
and some very serious mobility challenges. Well, rather than say, hey, it's my birthday, I'm going to take a pass on everything and just stay home and sleep or watch TV, she said, no, we are getting up and going, as we always do on a Monday, to go do two hours of her physical therapy. And she did that, pushed hard, kicked some genuine behind. And we weren't done. Tuesdays happened to be our standing chemotherapy day for her in this breast cancer fight that is now 18, no, 20, 21 months old. Yeah, good Lord. Uh, My dates are off. I'm sorry. Learned about this at the very end of August 2018. Well, part of the process there, for those of you who don't know, with chemotherapy is requirement for blood draw and a variety of blood tests so that the oncologists can determine the exact correct amount of acids and other caustic things to put in your body based on your blood work and what is or isn't happening there. So finished the two-hour awesome physical therapy session and then drove half hour 45 minutes back home and then spent half hour 45 minutes or so getting her blood draw done and you know (laughs) you would hope on her birthday that everything would go well but she actually ended up getting stuck three times uh to the point to where the person who did the first two said I need to have someone else come and do this. I'm so sorry. Not knowing it was her birthday, nonetheless. But uh, we actually had to have two people help us. So I felt really bad for her because getting stuck three times on your birthday, well, that's not a super blast. Then the last note here on the home front, since it's her birthday, obviously we're going to eat whatever she wants. I didn't know if she wanted me to cook something. She said, no, you big dummy. We are having Ethiopian food. So went to a new Ethiopian restaurant here in the town we live in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it is currently waiting for us once she is done in the shower. And then our evening will commence. Uh, Big thanks to one or two of you in the industry that sent her beautiful flowers and have sent along messages to her. Uh, Also say big thanks to so many of you just as listeners uh, who on whichever social media platform sent her beautiful birthday wishes and a bunch of really cool IndyCar drivers too. So yeah, feeling the love all for her because she puts up with me, y'all. She deserves it. A couple quick IndyCar items to mention here. Obviously, we're getting back to racing this weekend. Bizarre thing. Like if if... Racing has a body clock. It does not know what time zone it's in. Hey, we're going to start racing in March. We're all here at St. Pete. We're about ready to go. Okay, everybody pack up. Go away. We don't know when we're going to do this again. Oh, hey, the Indy 500. Yeah, we're going to. No, okay, no, that's gotten pushed to August. Okay, uh, that still doesn't reconcile with my brain or body. Hey, we're going to go back racing for the first time in texas okay uh that's an interesting choice so we're gonna do that early june and then guess what we're gonna follow that no (laughs) we're gonna do nothing again for about another month and so here we are the uh stop starty stop starty season 
continues, but frankly and thankfully, it's coming to an end. So we're going to rock and roll here with the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course on the 4th, and then the momentum picks up and really gets rolling from there. So happy about that. Some of y'all, many of y'all actually, it might have been the first or second most shared story of the year on Racer, believe it or not, uh, about many of the smaller, medium-sized independent photographers being locked out by IndyCar at Texas. Happy to report that some, not all, but some uh, of the non-major agencies have been welcomed in for Indianapolis and more for the uh, next race after that at Road America. So I think for the most part, that's going to be back into a fairly good place. Seen one or two photographers post some grumpy stuff about how they did not get credentials after applying for them. This is not said in any kind of like mean or negative way. I didn't really know them. Like, oh, it's that guy who shoots for this manufacturer or this main sponsor or this significant team. Like, it was hard connecting some of those dots. So, again, nonetheless, though, it looks like things are starting to get back to where they should. Hopefully, the financial damage done to some of those smaller and medium-sized photo agencies and independent contractors is not too great to uh, harm them or their families. Saw here today about five hours late because that's kind of sort of like how life goes here uh, that Jimmy Johnson is going to be testing for Chip Ganassi Racing. (laughs) I love it. Uh, Well, you know, we talk about these big manufacturer battle lines and you can't cross this one can't cross that one i know jimmy is retiring at the end of the year i know he's been a chevy guy his whole life i know that unless something changed that i missed that chip ganassi racing sure indeed is powered by honda and uh while jimmy has expressed an interest to race in indycar next year we all assumed that the test first test he would do would be with the aero mclaren sp team also known as spam because that was indeed scheduled for barber but then canceled because of covid i just assumed that when we learned about jimmy finally truly getting to go out and sample an indycar for the first time it would indeed be with the chevy powered team there and yeah not the case with ganassi in a honda uh in theory again we'll see what happens at the end of the year but in theory i just thought this was never going to be something that could happen knowing that in indycar we have chevy versus honda period so the super chevy guy of nascar is gonna test a honda powered indycar man this year i don't even know what to make of it i'm just perpetually confused (sighs) beyond that Probably a couple of things to mention that uh, are falling out of my brain, but hey, what else is new? I can tell you this. uh, Your questions this week, pretty darn awesome. They're usually really, really good. Just saying that this week in particular, they are of rather high, high caliber, higher than uh, even come to expect. So based on the word count, Uh, This could take about two hours to get through. I'm not going to do that. I don't have the time. 
It's my wife's birthday, man. So I'm going to get through all that I can. And then if I don't get to the one that you wanted me to, please send it through again. That's always a standing offer. If we don't get to your question, send it back in. I think four times is the record of how many times it's taken to finally get to one. And by then, I think I might have sent that person a T-shirt or something else just because I felt really guilty. So there we go. All right, let's do it. Let's get some intro music again here for your Q&A. Oh, boy, I tell you, I'm really, really fortunate that I get to do this uh, for fun and for a living each week. And this show is just kind of my unfiltered, unpolished connection to you all. We get to hopefully have some joy and mirth and also get some real answers thrown in, too. We're going to kick things off with our man, John Ranjow. And I think we're not even going to explain that that's your name, last name, inverted, John. But we're just going to go with John Ranjow for now on. Uh, you open this with a uh, little nod to my favorite WWE tag team, The New Day, saying, Oh, Marshall Pruitt, don't you dare be sour. Clap for another episode of the world-famous listener Q&A and feel the power. If you don't like the WWE or have no idea what I'm talking about, yeah, you probably just hit the stop button. Uh, John says, wanted to get your opinion on the Indy 500 still being blacked out in central Indiana, even though they're capping the attendance to 50%, which essentially assures a sellout. Is there any reason why they're doing this during a time where it could be a morale booster during the pandemic i already think the blackout during a normal year is kind of an archaic practice considering the speedway becomes indiana's sixth largest city on race day with its massive attendance figures but especially now that they're capping attendance to a lower figure uh, i would see as a massive middle finger if i were a central indiana resident and it was still blacked out am i misreading the situation says as always big prayers to you and your wife well the hashtag me personally opinion here is I totally get why this is done. It drives me totally insane when it happens out here uh, with football games, for example, uh, where, you know, it's not a practice that I'm unfamiliar with receiving the intent and then also delivering the wrath. Uh, the can I watch my local team play? Oh, it's a local game, and if it's not a sellout, there's no TV. And da, 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 da. Yeah, so this practice I get, of course, it's in the best interest of the arena, the stadium, in this case, the speedway, to push for complete sellout before saying, all right, well, we can't fit anymore. I guess we better show it to everyone else live, too. I get it. I can't argue the business side of it. There's no argument. I do the same. Makes total sense. Still sucks. And no one, you know, look, it's one of those things like swallowing some sort of nasty concoction that's good for your health. You get it. You understand the reason why. You still don't want it and you still don't like it. So I get that. Can't argue whatsoever. I did reach out to a friend in a, very senior position within the IndyCar series and said, Hey, uh, just want to get a little bit of background here as to why pivoting off of your COVID-19 year, uh, angle, John, 
knowing that, yeah, to your point, boy, uh, is this a year to hold fast to this? Let's try and make folks happy if they can't make it out or just decide not to based on concerns about health and coronavirus transmission. Uh, Just a person responded saying, you know, I hear you, but again, the policy is unchanged. Um, It will be delayed locally unless there's a sellout. Um, I guess the, the whole goal here is hopefully there is a sellout. Those 175,000 tickets are truly sold beyond the, yes, we're telling you we want them. Actual financial transactions take place so that even at 175K, that is indeed maximum capacity for what they're allowing. And I'm hoping that that happens and that gets triggered. I, uh, more on the the true me personally front i'm still having a way whether i'm going to be there for the event or not i know that's not your question but you for talking tv and attendance well uh i'm i probably count for three people as wide as my fat butt happens to be i'm gonna have to continue to read the situation to see whether we're talking these scary spikes it's not like it's a second wave. It just appears to be the same wave that has just kind of died down a bit and is now getting a lot bigger because a lot of us in the country are being stupid. Uh, I can tell you that within the last 72 hours, I have learned of two family members who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. One very elderly very elderly, scares the living poop out of my wife and I, and someone who's not as elderly but a bit older than we are, and it's scaring us as well. Like, truly, um, I don't know how many of you have been touched by COVID-19, either directly you've had it or a loved one, family member, someone that, you know, I'm not talking fifth cousin twice removed dogs cats squirrel i mean real like oh that's mother-in-law father-in-law mom dad sister brother it's kind of at that level here so not saying this like our experience is any different from anyone else but i can tell you that we have been fighting to stave off illness for a really long time, long before COVID, because with chemo comes immunocompromisation. So I just know that for myself, John, I'm having to wait till we get a little bit closer to determine whether I should go in terms of risk. Because if I get sick, uh, boy, yeah, uh, we don't really have any other options for someone to take care of my wife, nor can I afford to get her sick. So Knowing that we have family members now that are dealing with symptoms, we spoke with uh, one family member today on the drive home, and she was shaken uh, and did not sound good. Uh, Effects of the virus plus shaken to her core. So not trying to open the show in a bit of a downer, just bringing you a little bit of reality here for what's going on, John, since you asked. So, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, 
I sure hope that the blackout does not happen. I also know that for those who are dealing with the virus directly, um, yeah, uh, bigger concern there, but also for folks who might have been dealing with it in greater Indiana, maybe the ability to have the race aired no matter what would be that really nice move. Call it that one-time exception. Um, That would seem to me to be a highly human approach. Let's go to two questions here. First from Simon Rafi and second from Vincent Anderson on women in IndyCar. Simon, who's always sending in great direct messages with recommendations for fine, super dark, can't see through them beers, which I happen to love, but can't afford uh, for a little while now. But thanks for those, Simon. Says MP in the last show, you discussed diversity. Looking back over the last 10 years, the number of women drivers at the Indy 500 has dwindled and will possibly be none this year. Mentions, I understand Pippa Man is struggling to get a ride. Simon says in 2010, five women were entered Danica Patrick, Sarah Fisher, Anna Beatrice, Simona De Silvestro, and Milka Duno. Over the next three years, four women entered the Indy 500. What's gone wrong? Uh, also mentions another question about diversity. When over 10% of the Indy 500 field were women in 2010, was there a noticeable increase in women in the crowd? Last question. First, I don't recall, Simon, and that's just my failing. I would ask the kind women who listen to the show who might have attended Indy in 2010 to share their insights if they happen to recall. Uh, I do know that in situations where whether it is gender or ethnicity and there's a pretty large absence of such uh, folks of the gender in question or ethnicity in question tend to be pretty good at noticing one another like, oh, there aren't many of us here in this thing and I do recall seeing a couple of us or whatever. So maybe uh, if there's a chance, maybe Simon, some of the women were there at the race in 2010 can educate us on the last topic. Um, if we're talking about women, where are they? Why don't we have more? That's a rough one. And I don't want to continually hammer this topic show after show after show, because I do believe after a while it just becomes a bit of an echo chamber. On the topic of women IndyCar, why aren't there more? Well, Danica decided to retire. Sarah decided to retire. Anna, who, boy, she's got uh, some tough days ahead with legal trouble at home in Brazil. Um, Milka, we don't really need to talk about Milka. Simona, in particular... Simona's part of this great void of support. Catherine Legg as well. And I don't want to turn this into blame game stuff. So I realize I'm talking about established women. We'll get to the women who have yet to get here part in a moment. If I am reading what has been going on within the country, if not world, over the last month, the hey, is the thing you do fair, equal, and truly done with fresh, modern, 
eyes and methodologies applied type of thinking. If we were to look at that and apply this to IndyCar, I think we could say that there are some opportunities for sure that have been given to men where a Simona Di Silvestro would have done at minimum as good a job, if not a significantly better job, but for reasons that are varied, could be relationships, right? The male driver who's a decent shoe and never really did anything spectacular, might have won one race at some point in time somewhere, maybe has faded a bit, but again, is known and you know used to work at a team with the person who's the team manager at the other team and hey we got an opportunity oh we need someone for a couple races or who knows maybe the year well hey you know i'm buddies with so and so let me i mean a lot of these things tend to happen i'm not talking about the bringing money part i'm talking about the we have an opportunity who should we extend that opportunity to uh simona and Catherine in particular should <laughs> should be on a lot of lists because they are talented and fast and experienced would also say that in their two specific cases simon as i've mentioned before not a lot of time spent in the same team or the same team where there was high caliber everything ample budget rock star engineers driver coach all the tools where you go hey how did this driver become so good or that driver you say foundation colton hurt is a perfect example boy that kid has so much natural talent it's ridiculous but thrown into the wrong team that kid's not an indycar race winner nor is he driving for andretti autosport he is toiling around in 12th or 14th, worried if his career is going to be over almost uh, as soon as it started, but put into a team with quality everything, even though money was tight, super tight. Boy, excellence was just everywhere. And look at how he developed in one year. Well, we can't say that about Simona. She never had that, ever. She had a brief spell with Andretti Autosport during a challenging year, arrow kit-wise. She's never had a full season with any team where you go, all right, truly, they had all the boxes ticked. Would say Catherine, very similar as well. So, hmm, uh, full talent, unrealized, undeveloped, underdeveloped. Two women, I would say as well, that if, an IndyCar team wanted to pick up the phone right now, had an opportunity. Uh, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. Then you look to the next generation, Simon, and that's the part that worries me a lot. I know talking with an IndyCar driver friend who I'm working on a, trying to develop a diversity program with in diversity, not just meaning ethnicity, but gender as well. Um, there are, at least for what he has seen and experienced directly, some fierce young women at the carting lower, super bottomish rungs of 
junior open wheel racing. But there's not much in terms of really making a solid progression and getting towards Indy Lights and coming towards the top. That's just not there right now. And I'm not saying there aren't young women that haven't gotten onto the road to Indy and made some progress, but it's lack of money or the amount of money they had had them with a team that maybe wasn't going to take them to the front of the pack, etc. These are the same things that young boys, young men deal with as well on the road to Indy or karting. Or, so this isn't specific to young women. The part, though, that it, it gets hard to reconcile as my voice cracks here. I'm going through puberty, by the way. The part that's hard to reconcile, Simon, is this. If you see a young woman, a young girl, who is demonstrating talent, the willingness for the average IndyCar team owner, team manager, sponsor, whomever, driver who notices it, to take action and say, you know what? not trying to do this isn't a token thing this isn't any kind of you know oh well we just need to have boy we need to have a woman or two let how do we get one in as if it's like a tool or a thing but actually realize like hey <laughs> we we as a sport are better and better and healthier if we are genuinely and seriously represented by talented women Right? It's this isn't like some bleeding heart whatever approach. It's man, you walk into any meeting at a high quality kick ass company with its senior brass, and you're going to well, I'm hoping, but most likely you're going to see a pretty diverse room. Gonna be a men, of course, probably gonna be at least half men, if not more. But you're going to not you're going to see women, you're going to see people of different shades, and that's kind of the formula that makes things really good in the world. So just this basic thing, Simon, of like, oh, I don't want to do tokenism. Uh I want to actually go for talent and skill. And hey, if I'm seeing that skill being demonstrated and there's the pitfall of not enough money, not enough coaching maybe not being steered to the right team or relationships whatever it would be just that thing within owners managers drivers sponsors whatever to say hey we got a problem here how about i be part of the solution and maybe she whomever she is ends up not being everything that was hoped for and she does not get beyond indie pro 2000 or indie lights who knows but at least there's an effort and an attempt to try the same thing happens to a bunch of young boys and men try and you groom and you get them up the ladder a ways and guess what you find out uh, maybe they don't have it and that's okay but when you're not at least trying to see if young women could get there and be that uh, that's that's answers the part of what's gone wrong that's why we do not have in junior open wheel racing 
two, three, four, five young women who are looking like they're going as far as their talent and opportunities can provide. So it's a mental shift, Simon, uh, as more men who look like me hopefully come to the realization that women (laughs) can do it, need to do it, need to be here, and we need to diversify our brains to look at the young women on road to indie carting level, Lucas Oil Series level, whatever level, to say, you know, why don't I do something crazy and actually try and help her to get to where we are? And then you can add all the other shades to that as well. And all of a sudden, you know what? I think IndyCar helps itself a lot. (sighs) Vincent Anderson, you close this topic. And I forgot to mention, often in the first couple of questions, we get to, uh, we visit for a little bit with one that might be deeper than the others. Vincent says, why don't you think sponsors want to take a chance on minorities or women in racing? This group, in my opinion, brings in the newest fans. What's your take? Uh, this is one of those things, Vincent, where the, the truth is not the most convenient thing, and you don't want to say it too loudly, but the average super high-level sponsor that's going to spend millions on a racing marketing advertising program the average is not the most bold or brave uh so you mentioned minorities it's a word by the way that for folks who represent a statistical minority could be african-american could be whichever american just sharing here in my experience as i've been told being called the minority eh, it doesn't you know, it, it's, it lands quite often as less than, not one of us. So just sharing maybe a little bit of insight here that when talking about or talking to folks who might represent a statistical minority uh, within the country, you, it again, it's a factually accurate thing if you're reducing people to numbers. Uh, if you were to drop the minorities word eh, might not be a bad thing. Just suggestion. Um, so if we're talking minorities, the majorities of sponsors uh, are not ones that want to be brave, are not ones that want to do things that would be considered unconventional. Unconventional. I was about to say unconventional. That's a very unconventional word. Unconventional, Vincent. And so that's not trying to pick on any of those sponsors we had our guest last week the fine non-jruing of seattle jerry hildebrand who mentioned his sponsor salesforce happened to be based here well they're based in a couple of different places but it's a company that is pretty cool when it comes to speaking out for equality for all kinds of things And JR obviously felt fully comfortable speaking on their behalf on this topic. 
why isn't there more what more can be done like these are things that honestly if i were to put this in front of probably half the indycar drivers maybe more than half they would say a lot of i don't know and i'm not sure and one love and you know peace brotherhood and sisterhood and leave it at that because the lat they're absolutely terrified of saying anything that might anger a sponsor or their team uh again we talk freely here vincent i have been made aware of one very significant team on the topic of drivers speaking speaking out doing interviews on social media you name it those drivers being told look you screw up you say anything that is goes too far that whatever you're done I mean, you don't have to have a Me Too movement or a hashtag whatever move. You know, just if you say anything we don't like and don't think fits uh, what's going to make our sponsors happy and stay, you say anything that might spook any of our sponsors, you're gone. No, not even a conversation. And maybe at some other time I'll tell you which team that is, but I can tell you that if you look at what their drivers have posted on the good old social medias since um, the uh, hashtag blackout Tuesday on June 2nd. Yeah. You have seen nothing that even comes close to anything that would be on the topic of race, equality, yada, 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 scared out of having a voice for fear of losing their job. So if that's happening on the team level, Vincent, and the team is doing that because they're so afraid of losing their sponsors. Maybe that answers your question as to why we have yet to see any significant companies say, hey, we're going to get behind women in IndyCar racing. We're going to get behind black men, yellow men, red men, brown men, black women, brown, anything, men, women, colors of all, you name it. That's why we haven't seen it yet. Could that change? Should that change? I believe so. Now, there are some cool things that go on and have been going on uh, by some of the folks involved in IndyCar that aren't new, therefore don't involve statements or press releases. Companies that, again, maybe we'll go a little deeper into this another time, but there are companies more on the people who make the racing happen side uh, who are very, very straightforward in saying, no, uh, we want absolutely are going to have as diverse a group uh, representing us as possible and go out of their way to bring in women, people of color, etc. So there are things that have been going on, Vincent, that maybe aren't frontline, super shot it to the rooftop, but uh, that are cool. But if we're talking about the average sponsor, um, this is where I'm hoping we're going to see some change. This is where, over the last month, the emerging shift in social responsibility and presenting equality, equal opportunity, uh, this is where I'm hoping we might see a change where we might see a sponsor new to IndyCar or one or more that are already in it saying, you know, maybe we should actually try and do something that is very different 
and try and support young drivers, young engineers, maybe help a woman to own a team or become co-owner of a team, a Again, name all the things I've mentioned in terms of gender, color, orientation, you name it. That would be refreshing, wouldn't it? Not because it's topical. (laughs) Not because it's the thing that's happening in the country right now, like it's a fad. But because it's the thing we've been lacking. You know, it's the thing that if you've known about it, and I will admit, I hear from more and more people every day through email direct message and so on saying something along the lines of i've always loved indycar racing but i've felt sad Uh, the word ashamed is one that's been used i've felt sad ashamed embarrassed is another one that it is such a has been such a all one look all one color all one gender type sport and man slash woman wouldn't it be great if it actually joined the rest of the world and modernized itself so that's a reality vincent i would love nothing more though to say that after what's been going on for the last month maybe we'll have some sponsors that are going to decide that yeah let's do something cool and different and i'll bet you the return that they get whether it's selling their product or just uh, brand quality and image will skyrocket as a result. All right, we are picking back up here on a Tuesday morning. Had to hit the old pause button last night when Mrs. Pruitt was ready to resume her birthday. Some really, really, really good Ethiopian food. Watched, what did we see? We finished the... uh, Hashtag Black AF series on Netflix. I think we started that in May, probably. So finished that. Uh, obviously, being her birthday, it was uh, full, whatever she wants. She also instructed me this whole week we're celebrating her birthday, so that's awesome. So what did we do? We had some great Ethiopian, finished uh, Black AF watched a documentary-ish type thing on her favorite WWF wrestler, The Ultimate Warrior. And then uh, we watched a documentary on one of her and our favorite bands, The Beastie Boys. So, you know, I gotta admit, there was some other stuff that wasn't so fun uh, earlier in the day, but nonetheless rallied and finished strong. So coming back after that, so we're going to pick up here with our man Ryan Terpstra says, MP, I haven't seen the schedule, but assuming that there is qualifying at Indianapolis this weekend, uh, pick the Firestone Fast 6. Uh, on a related note, when do we have a full entry list? Yeah, so entry list should be today, Tuesday, possibly tomorrow, Wednesday. I've heard that Carlin might be one car again, just one for Max Chilton. Uh, sent a text to the team's PR rep. Uh, We'll see if we get a response there. That's always a bit of a 50-50 type thing. Uh, Pick the fast six. All right, well, funnily enough, this is going to feed uh, into a question that is coming up here in a moment. 
I think you're going to see all three Penske drivers. I think you're going to see Scott Dixon. I think you're going to see Alexander Rossi. And I'm going to go, I mean, I'm leaning Colton Herta, but I'm going to go with a little surprise here for Ryan Hunter Ray. So two Andretti's, one Ganassi, and three Penske's. So let's see how wrong I am. For those who don't know, I'm the absolute worst prediction guy. Never, ever place any money or faith in my predictions. That is a truism that's never going to change. Uh, Let's pick up here with Daniel Ingleton. Hey, Daniel. It says, Marshall, Team Penske have won at the Indy Grand Prix the last five years running. Is there any particular reason for their dominance at this particular circuit? And who do you think is best equipped to stop this run? Well, this is yet again a bit of a generalism and maybe a truism as well, Daniel. We'll use that word more than once. We'll repurpose it. The good old quality of damping. The Team Penske private, no one else can use them dampers that they develop. It means that they are really, really quick and effective at most road and street courses. This kind of skill can certainly play out at a billiard smooth type circuit like the Indy Road Course. So on top of fantastic drivers, fantastic engineering, wonderful power from Chevrolet. I'd say this is an area where they have distinguished themselves for quite a while. So that could be it. Uh, This is going to be a really good insight as to how the rest of the field is doing in this regard. So obviously open the season on a intermediate oval, one and a half miler. We know that Penske's were good to start the race, but fell off. Keep in mind, not a ton of practice there, so wasn't a surprise that there was some drop-offs by the by big teams and some surges by smaller teams. Bit of a randomized outcome here, not as if they're going to have a ton of practice time as well. It's another uh, one-day event-style routine. This is going to give us a good insight, Daniel on where the rest of the field stands in terms of damping to Team Penske. And there will still be that randomized element to consider, right? It's not like we're getting a full day with multiple practice sessions and another practice session in the morning and going to qualifying just very well studied. But we will at least get a glimpse to see who has done their homework properly, uh, not just during the offseason, Right, we got to see a, a bit of this during the Coda spring training session. Although, again, bit wet, dry, wasn't a, a great, great, clear look at everything. But knowing that in the months since we've been shut down, uh, this is an area where teams will have invested a ton of time to try and make gains. Last caveat to mention, though, Team Penske will have done the same thing. So when you're already the gold standard, it's not as if they just sat back and said, nah, we're good. We'll let everyone else try and catch up. They've been marching as well. So that's what I'm going to be looking for here, Daniel, in practice, in qualifying, and then in the race to see if there are teams 
that stand out in terms of handling performance, which then shows up in on-track performance uh, moving forward. So, yeah, this is an area where uh, Team Penske's had an advantage for a while, and it certainly seems to play out at the Indy GP with all the other factors that I mentioned. Scotty McLaughlin, question here from Tyler Duke. says, have you heard anything about the fourth Penske car this week at the Indy GP? I have not. Uh, yeah, and I also recall seeing something from Scotty quote-wise within the last couple of weeks saying, it's looking like being able to do some races this year might be a greater challenge than anticipated with all of the COVID-related travel restrictions and quarantines and whatnot. Um, Yeah, so I think we're just going to be staring at three, but hey, who knows? Haven't seen the entry list. Did Scott, uh, did Scott, good Lord. I can't even say that it's late or I'm drunk. Uh, Did text Scott, what, I think Saturday night when he uh, won the uh, opening to the uh, supercar season there. And, uh, yeah, boy, he put on a heck of a display. So nice little uh, performance by our man. He has a future, I would say, in driving race cars. Let's go to Hoff God from Reddit uh, talking about Jimmy Johnson driving a Chevy NASCAR, supposed to test an IndyCar with Spam, which runs Chevys. Now he'll be testing an IndyCar for Ganassi, which run Hondas. How did that happen? So wanted to just keep this in here to throw in one item on top of what I mentioned in the beginning. And that was, remember how, speaking of Scotty McLaughlin, when he did the IndyCar iRacing Challenge and he was one of maybe two drivers who did not have a declared engine manufacturer, that being because he uses Ford Mustangs in the real world down under in the supercar series. Team Penske, obviously, Chevy affiliated even though Scotty is Penske's employee, just to maintain harmony, they said, hey, IndyCar and iRacing, just leave that part off in terms of manufacture and just list Delara. I think what we're going to see here is while referencing this test and anything that comes from it in terms of Jimmy's comments, the Ganassi team's comments, probably not going to include engine anything again could be wrong we'll see what happens but uh other than jimmy possibly saying thank you to chevy uh for letting me do this test although he's not a chevy employee that i know of probably as a services contract but other than that i would expect in a situation like this for jimmy and the team to intentionally not get into any discussion of engines whatsoever, just under the guise of maintaining peace and happiness. Let's get into a couple questions here. Ed Joris. Hey there, Ed. Says, over under, how many IndyCar races this season? Over under 10 and a half? Uh, He says, these are races where points are awarded, meaning if a race gets rained out after it starts, it only counts if IndyCar awards points for the race itself. I assume, since there was nothing leading to the point of the question that this might be related to, could more races get canceled if COVID continues its 
sad and nasty uh, push through the country yet again. Entirely possible, man. Uh, that's a it's a concern for sure, and not something that IndyCar or any other racing series for that matter is really going to be in control of. All the races on the calendar are subject to city and or state approval. I would just say in a very, very overarching, overarching. Is it arc or arching? I'm not sure. I've always said arching, but I just opened by saying arc. Good Lord. I need to drink alcohol. So I at least have an excuse to say that I'm drunk this morning. This is a case, Ed, where if at whichever track we are going to, the folks there in charge say, hey, no, 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 no. Sorry. Thought you could, but. COVID has been doing bad things from where we thought it would be, and we're going to have to not do this. Well, that's not something IndyCar can overrule. It's a bit of a prone thing here. And so to your question of over or under 10 and a half, again, I would love to answer that. I mean, what's <laughs> without COVID, we're concerned about the swing out here, the one and only swing out on the West Coast for Laguna Seca, right? I mean, just as a track, they need to get their act together, get volunteers signed uh, to staff the event and make everything possible. So forget COVID. That's just looking dodgy because the folks currently running it appear to be a bit dodgy. But nonetheless, yeah, I can't answer that. Because nobody can answer that, Ed. And I give you a prediction, but like many things, that's meaningless. And as I just said, it'll be wrong. What I will be interested in looking towards is what that number ends up being when we get through with the season. And will we get to everything? Or, again, will life intervene? I'm preparing mentally for some races to come off the IndyCar calendar. IMSA calendar, other calendars as well, although these are the two series that I follow the closest. Just preparing myself for it so I'm not overly disappointed because it would almost feel strange at this point if the announced schedules go forward with zero alterations. Uh, J.J. Gertler, Marshall. When the cancellation of Richmond 2020 was formally announced, he stated that it wasn't too surprising. Was that just because of Virginia's take on coronavirus restrictions? Were there issues with the promotion and viability of the race before that? Strictly about the state's highly restrictor, restrictive approach. I'm not, I'm, I was going to say I'm giving up. I'm not. I'm just going to keep pushing forward and hope that I amuse you. I don't know why my brain is not connected to my mouth with more than like one bar or two bar, it's not even 4G. I've got 1G mental Wi-Fi from brain to mouth with a single bar. I hope you realize the challenges that I face here. Uh, No, JJ, strictly about the state was really hardcore, being hardcore, and that is what I think had many of us expecting Richmond to go away. Nothing to do with the track or the promoter. It's among the saddest developments for me because 
of what has happened with COVID-19 just in our little world and, and how those impacts have been felt, knowing how much Jay Fry, Stephen Starks from IndyCar, and the good folks at Richmond International Raceway, I like the international part, by the way, you know, very famous F1 track, uh, the folks from Le Mans always trying to go there, um, something where they really were trying to do something big and good and reinvigorate this open wheel culture, which has been missing there for quite some time. This one makes me sad. Some of the other places that we go that aren't going to happen again, while sad life will move on. Everything will be good. We'll get back to normal next year. Richmond. I hope this doesn't tank some of the interest that was shown among local fans. Uh, Ryan Terpstra again, wouldn't be an episode of whatever I do without multiple Ryan questions. Do you think the term hindsight is 2020 will take on a new meaning after the grand damn year we're having? Um, <laughs> uh, yes, that is a wonderful play on words and that's not 2020 as in vision. Uh, it's as in the year on my week in sports car show that I do with my pal Graham Goodwin at the opening of it this week. I just mentioned that 2020 is the grand am of years, meaning crappy, low rent, no fans, uh, almost no fond memories whatsoever. Couldn't go away fast enough. Yeah. Uh, I could almost say, if not directly say, if since this is my open wheel show, that 2020 is the Indy Racing League of years. And again, I was there for, you know, the I wasn't there for the 1996 part where they used the old cart IndyCar chassis and engines, but was there for the first, you know, true, real, brand new, unique formula that made the Earl, the IRL what it was, from 97 through 2001, uh, also worked in Grand Am, was engineer for the, I don't even know what the heck the team was called, um, Chris Bingham's team in 2005 using a delightful Riley chassis. I think we had a Lexus engine. It might have been Pontiac or I don't, I don't know. I got to look. Some of these things, the stuff that, are not super excellent markers from my time working in the sport. I let a lot of those things fall away from my brain. Why walk around in suffering? I say, um, yeah. So I, uh, I'm, I'm confident in saying here too, Ryan, uh, 2020 is the Indy racing league of years. So yeah, uh, go away 2020, please. Uh, we're going to go to Derek Bartoshek MP with F1 introducing Budget cap, do you see Penske and Dreddy or Ganassi taking the plunge into F1 in the next three to five years? All already participate in multiple series, but perhaps the opportunity to run a break-even or profitable operation in F1 with the right partnerships and with the new budget cap rules in place could be intriguing. Goes on to say, Andretti is already linked with Formula E and BMW. Maybe BMW eyes a return to F1. We have Williams and Dreddy BMW Formula One. Maybe I'm dreaming. <clears throat> I'd remove the maybe from the dreaming part, Derek. 
I know Michael of the three you mentioned is certainly the most ambitious of growth. We know that he has looked into Formula One team ownership. We know that Penske has looked into the Williams angle, unaware of Chip doing the same thing. Yeah, how's this, man? Unless we are talking about COVID-19 related financial hardships and Formula One Team X is on the brink of financial collapse and they're looking to sell for 50 cents on the dollar, could a Penske, Andretti, whatever Ganassi look to buy as an investment, money to be made type thing? Possibly. Beyond that, I would say that right now, during this hard financial patch that we have just gotten into, and from what I read, economists expect it to last a while, this kind of financial outlay, I think, would be an adverse move, something where most would recommend against it. Again, unless there's some team just selling their selling an F1 program for super cheap. I just don't really see it here. I know that Ganassi getting into the extreme E off-road routine, <clears throat> that tends to come with some subsidy from the sanctioning body and organizer itself. Andretti getting into Formula E, same thing. Uh, those unique scenarios where teams are being paid to come in, given ownership of the team and equipment and whatnot, I mean, those are smart things to do. Uh, Formula One's not exactly paying people to come and take teams and run them. So love the idea. The budget cap will be interesting, but I I don't know if I'm seeing this right now. Minus COVID-19, I'd say the odds would be higher, but maybe not crazy high. With COVID and the financial wreckage, yeah, tough, man. Very tough. Uh, sad boys to men says Marshall. I'm a new IndyCar fan. Thanks to your show. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, and notice that the series suffers from the same thing. Almost every racing series suffers from that is series is constantly being unfavorably compared to the past as a new fan. It's really jarring to hear about the modern series, how it pales in comparison to previous decades. We hear it from drivers, team owners, commentators, fans, etc. We don't hear manufacturers saying, here's a new product offering, but man, you should have seen how much better uh, stuff we made in the 1980s was. It's a turnoff for me, and I imagine other people as well. What do you think needs to be done to break out of this habit and have the modern series be the one people are most excited about? That's a great question. Would say this is a dynamic I don't know your age, so I don't want to assume you don't know this, but this is a dynamic that is just part of life. It's not unique to IndyCar. It's, oh, your music today is garbage. Mine, when I was growing up, was so much better. It applies to music, movies, fashion, politics, uh, food, cars, you name it. Uh, Everything back in the day was better. It's not a strange thing to have that same thing applied to 
motor racing and IndyCar in this context. Other little addition here is since IndyCar's current demographic continues to skew much older, you do have a lot of folks that have seen IndyCar racing in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s that have decades of compare and contrast to then share with their opinions about what they see today. I can say without a doubt that 1980s and in particular 1990s cart IndyCar was the high mark, the absolute high mark. And that's not a disrespectful or discrediting statement about today. It's simply a case of having been, I'd say really the 80s is where my big IndyCar knowledge, growth, care, you name it, started. Having been in this close 80s, 90s, 2000s, the teens, I can look across all those and make an honest and fair statement based on my experiences and say that, yes, 80s were incredible, in particular the 90s, unlike anything. And so we're talking about speed, horsepower, looks, sounds. Drivers were, in many cases, living legends or those that we knew were going to be living legends not too uh, not too long after just a very special special time if i move over to sports cars super fortunate to have grown up in the imsa gtp era the 1980s and also in the 2000s with the american lamont series i can say with complete neutrality those two series beat anything that IMSA has to offer today. But that's not being critical of today's IMSA. It's just today's formulas, which is where I'd maybe point back the com- to where these comments come from. The formulas of IMSA GTP, America Le Mans series, uh, IMSA GTO as well and such, they were just better than what we have today, allowed more extreme and diverse cars looks sounds you just wow this what we have today with imsa really highly restricted super restricted and as a result the creativity isn't quite there and just the things that really stand out is oh my gosh would say a little bit similar with today's indycar now the quality of drivers we know for sure is if you average the field together higher than it's ever been ever 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 it's not a question it's not a not an opinion it's just you look at how close everyone is in terms of talent never seen anything like it for those who've seen other indycar formulas we can say for sure that today like just about every form of racing, not all, but just about every form where we've been in this super lockdown, can't touch it, can't innovate, can't this spec, 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 spec. And so just saying not a surprise 
that for those like myself who've been there in the past to see formulas where, woo, super creativity, go for records, go for greatness from race to race to race. It's not where we are. And so that doesn't mean that what you enjoy today is not awesome. It doesn't mean that from your starting point with this being it stands out to you as something that is amazing. It should be from a point of reference without previous decades. Of course, you can watch the YouTubes and whatever else to study, but without firsthand experience, this is what you got. And so there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing negative about it. The quality of racing, by and large, is amazing. Granted, we're talking about spec cars. So if there's almost no difference from one chassis to the next and the drivers are all within one percentile of each other, of course, you're not going to have a case where <laughs> their fields are big and spread out and the racing isn't close. But obvious observations aside, as you follow IndyCar more and they move to a new formula and then another formula after that, you too will, I won't be surprised in 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, you might have the same opinion. Man, uh, those late 2010 IndyCars, especially 2018 when they went to the new and prettier bodywork and some of the other developments that came. Man, that was a rich time. That was the best I've ever seen. Again, who knows? Maybe that won't happen, but it's not a surprise. As we get older, the things that we came into first and whatever passion are often held up as the best. So I would say it's just a dynamic. It's a human dynamic. Uh, My oldest stepbrother thought he was the funniest, wisest guy whenever he would criticize my love of rap music in the 1980s you know he he would call it hey you listen to that crap again and then laugh like huh boy he put the letter c in front of rap and made fun of the music that i like uh dude so brilliant uh he's a d-bag but that's okay um totally normal right because he being older listened to different stuff and couldn't understand and didn't want to know this newfangled stuff. And my dad who grew, you know, listened to stuff decades older than anything I would have, you know, oh, this, what is this shit you're listening to? Uh, again, it's just kind of normal. So maybe that's the dynamic. I don't see how it goes away because this would require human beings to fundamentally alter the way they interact with their worlds. Um, I do love your note about manufacturers pissing on their current stuff, uh, in light of what they made before. This might be the one dynamic, um, that is a bit, well, I can even say this is, uh, proofed, uh, and safe from this. Yeah. Modern cars are better than they've ever been. And yet I can guarantee you, you know, I know this because whenever we turn on 
NBCSN or whatever else, there's a Mecham auction and 99% of things. It's a Resto Mod Camaro and a Pontiac this and it's all muscle cars. I'm like, all right, well, uh, maybe I'm wrong here too. Uh, because while today's Camaro such and such, I'm sure is way better than anything Chevy made on a Camaro line 30 years ago or whatever, uh, the nostalgia is still there. So I don't know how we make nostalgia go away. Sad boys to men, but, uh, just enjoy what you got and fight for it. And if someone's telling you the thing before was better, they might not. Well, they're not wrong. Cause that's the thing that they believe, but I just say, don't let them tell you that what you like today as a, I hear a leaf blower kick off outside. Um, don't let that diminish your love and don't be afraid to push back and fight for the thing that you love and tell folks, Hey, you know what? Good for you. And the experiences you have, uh, this is what I have. This is my introduction and I love it. So don't piss on it. So there you go. Fight for your right to party with the W12s using universal arrow kit 18s. Let's go to Ron Thompson. As I start to wind down the show a little bit here, uh, Ron says, Marshall, any thoughts on James Davison's weekend of NASCAR racing in the Poconos? Um, says starting two NASCAR cup races where practice was limited to seat fitting and a pedal check says, at least I hope he had a seat fitting and pedals pedal check. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch young Mr. Davison's NASCAR debut. I did look and see that his finishes, I think 30th or so, um, in the two races seemed to be about right. Uh, looks like he went a couple laps down. I know this, uh, a really tough thing to get thrown into. It appears again. I haven't seen any hate thrown his way yet, man. That's really loud. I uh, haven't seen any hate thrown his way so much on the social medias. So I assume he didn't do anything to piss anybody off. Could be wrong. Inform me if he did. Um, I know this about the guy that, wow, that's really annoying. He has a stupid amount of talent and he is so adaptable. So given a proper opportunity to practice, set up the car, get it right, and then go race, uh, I, I have no doubt the guy can be running mid pack in NASCAR. Um, that's kind of who he is. Chuck him into whatever He'll figure it out, and then he's going to do very well. So that's James Davison, as I know the guy. All right, going to give this a third try. Just had to wait for the leaf blower dude to finish his job. Also took the time to make my wife some breakfast, and our cat Rocky has jumped up, as he always does when we're recording. I don't know what it is. I could be on the phone doing an interview, talking with someone. It's not there. Whenever he sees, I think it's when he sees the microphone come out for this, our man, he loves to put his backside in my face while recording. He appears. So how you doing rock? We also have Rosie. She has jumped up and is looking through the window at things to attack and bite or dream of at least. Uh, like I said, warts and all man, we're, uh, this is what my show is and I'm good with it. And I hope you are as well. We're going to go to Robbie Bergeron. Marshall, let's say I build a time machine, go back with my gray sports almanac, and win a ton of money 
betting, and then invest my winnings in a Microsoft, Yahoo, and other up-and-comers at the time. I then take a small portion to start a cart team with Honda engines, Renard chassis, Firestone tires, and I employ Buddy Lazier. And my team has an operating budget and engineering talent of a Team Green or Forsyth. So as I run, say, 1995 through 1998 with a setup, what is Buddy's best championship finish? Fifth? Tenth? Fifteenth? Wow. That's a great one, Robbie. Seriously. So I am a longtime big fan of Buddy Lazier. He is the classic American bootstraps kind of guy. Didn't come from poverty, right? His father, late father Bob, who was just all kinds of awesome. Uh, Definitely someone, uh, he and Mrs. Lazier, they certainly worked very hard to develop uh, their businesses to give their kids a better life. So not saying that Buddy grew up rich with everything at his feet. That was not the case. He certainly wasn't starting from zero, though. And so Buddy found himself, for those who don't know, about the 1996 Indy 500 winner and 2000 IRL champ, someone who found himself in the sport following his father, Indy car driver as well, following his dad's love. His brother Jacques also competed in the Indy Racing League. I worked with Jacques for a number of races in 2000. In 2001, maybe it was just 2001. I don't know. Again, memory's a bit fuzzy. But Buddy was in that weird place, Robbie, where had enough money to get in, but not get in with a top team. And so going back to the women in racing topic about a Simona uh, Di Silvestro, about a Catherine Legg, I love your scenario here if we're using the timeline of 95 to 98 that means that buddy would be getting his best opportunity with you and he is someone who came into indycar in what 1989 90 i'm forgetting the exact year but spent many years in year old two-year-old equipment rarely having the hot motor or tire of the day or chassis of the day guy who was with the smaller teams for many, many years during very formative periods of his career. And those are things that stifle, unfortunately. It's not a case, it's rarely a case, where you have this highly talented person who spends five years in smaller, underperforming teams, ones that don't have all the engineering talent, driver coaching, analysis, you name it, to help a young driver really sharpen all their tools to then use to improve year after year, which end up getting, honestly, most of the time, Robbie, is someone who has a lot of talent, but if they do luck into a great scenario like yours, since we're going back in time, they're going to perform at a high level, but a lot of things are often baked in. Uh, You're not going to see that big explosion of development in the sixth year of their career or seventh year. It's just a rarity. So what do you get from a buddy? Well, how's this? If he, in this fantasy scenario, done zero IndyCar and was coming up the ladder 
and his first seasons were with you and your fantasy team with all the money and all the everything, all the right combinations. I think the guy is a top eight to top 10 guy. If we're talking the talent of that era in cart, I mean, that's, that's really brutal era for cracking into the top 10. So, you know, you run down the list of who were the monsters of the day, and that's where you say, okay, well, we need to get past the Chip Ganassi Racing Organization with Vassar and Zanardi. So we know that they are insane. Um, We're going to need to get past Penske Organization, which, granted, weren't as strong as they are before or after, but... Uh, that's a couple of drivers, uh, an Allenser Jr., a Paul Tracy, possibly maybe an MO. Um, that's a pretty tough out right there. Uh, what the Walker team, Derek's team was in a pretty good place. I mean, both Scott Goodyear was pretty good, but even more with Gilles DeFerrin when he came online, that that's pretty tough right there. Newman Haas, right? Michael, um, Michael Andretti, Christian Fittipaldi. Those are two. Again, pretty <laughs> pretty tough contenders to deal with. Uh, what, we get Pac West coming in and around this era? Uh, what, Blundell, Big Mo, Bobby Rahal still in and around? If it's not him, it's Brian Herta, Max Pappas. Uh, what, not my brother, Scott Pruitt's around, Roberto Moreno. Who else? Uh, Adrian Fernandez is emerging. Um, you know, Greg Moore, obviously. No disrespect to Buddy, I'm just not sure if I put him ahead of any of those drivers. And as we, you know, start to move towards the end of that period, well, who do we get? We get a guy named Dario Franchitti. We get a Tony Canon. Elio Castro Neves is coming in. Robbie Gordon is there. Uh, who else? Who else am I forgetting here? Uh, there's just. A lot. Andre Ribeiro was really good. Race winner back then, too. Um, right? Uh, this this is a pretty tough era, man. So I like to think that Buddy would be in the mix. I'm just not totally sure that he surpasses the top 10 on any kind of regular basis. So... Uh, we'll see, we'll see if your future retro time machine thing ends up working and we'll find out. I'm hopefully very, very wrong. I do know that I think Buddy would have been highly respected someone. I, well, he's already highly respected, but I mean, as a guy who could mingle in and around the top 10, but I'm thinking, you know, more closer to 10 than the top three. Uh, with some of those monsters that we are mentioning. But uh, that's the fun thing about looking back. Uh, We can only kind of pull it out of our butt. Um, All right, let's get to uh, your last couple, and then we're going to say farewell. Uh, Matt Anderson, I love your questions. Matt says, with all the talk about a third-engine manufacturer, and at this point even just trying to salvage something uh, for the remaining two manufacturers, what are your thoughts on Roger Penske's attempted buyout of Saturn 
back in 2009. The deal obviously fell through, but I was wondering if he had in mind taking the brand into motorsports, particularly IndyCar. Do you know if this was the case or not? If so, I'm assuming his ties to Ilmore would have prevented Chevrolet from using them to build their motors. So I wonder if Chevrolet would have still entered IndyCar with another builder designing their motors, or would it have just been Saturn and Honda instead of Chevy at this point? And we'd still have two manufacturers. Either way, makes for an interesting scenario to think that Saturn could have multiple Indy 500 wins at this point. Man, I love you, Matt. Uh, wow. I don't know. I'll need to ask Roger. I would say there would be a pretty strong case to offer with Roger's history that with a brand like Saturn, had he purchased it, knowing it was on hard times, trying to develop it and grow it, that while certainly not in year one, but possibly by 2012, some sort of motor racing activities could or would have been involved. Sports cars at the time, not unstable, but certainly we know that by mid-2012, there was a merger announced between the LMS and Grand Am. Neither one of those series leading, uh, frankly, after 2008 were particularly strong or as strong as they once were. So I'm thinking he might have looked towards IndyCar. And your Ilmore point is one that is very well taken here. I'll have to ask him next time that I see him. Um, We've been trying to connect for a longer conversation for a couple weeks now. But yeah, that's a great one, Matt. And quick sidebar, uh, I worked with a SCCA Pro Sports 2000 team where we were sponsored by Saturn. The driver was a Saturn dealer owner. And one of the first to really get them into racing. I'm struggling to recall if we ever used a Saturn motor, but I do know that we promoted the car like it was. And that would have been 93, 94, somewhere in there. So, yeah, I think 93, uh, but maybe 94 as well. I don't know. I don't remember. I need to look at pictures to remember. The fun thing I remember that driver slash dealer owner telling me after I applied... Uh, Saturn logos to the thing for the first time. Uh, he mentioned that I had them upside down and uh, it was a little bit hard to tell like what was up and down on the Saturn logo. And he was fairly crass and told me that, well, uh, the, I think his phrase was the penis points up and to which I said, what? And he said, well, if you look at the logo, uh, there's something that looks kind of phallic on it. So the way to remember whether you're putting it on correctly or upside down is look at the logo. And if the little penis shape thing is pointed up, well, that's the right way. So see, uh, (laughs) all kinds of nonsense falls out of my brain when I'm not expecting it. We're going to go to Ross Porter. It says once again, sleep deprivation and jet fuel fumes have sent my mind down a borderline psychedelic path. I think most can agree that it's in IndyCar's best interest to remain a relatively spec series if it wants to survive today's economic climate. But what about loosening the reins of the rulebook in strategic areas for just the 500? Letting teams and manufacturers get creative, get people excited about the innovation displayed on pole day and the race itself. I could see this enticing different engine manufacturers entering to flex their muscles in front of the world. If not for the 500, how about IMS holding an event similar to the annual Call of the Wild, held at Kalamazoo Raceway 
or run what you brung chase for the tracks lap record. Anything here sound feasible or do I need to get some fresh air? Well, always going to recommend the fresh air, but you know, those jet fuel fumes, uh, they can do fun things to your brain, I guess, Ross. Yeah, this is something that I know uh, a number of us, I don't know how many, but a number of us have been hoping for, calling for, for a really long time. Bring innovation back. That's often met with louder shouts of costs, and you're going to scare the manufacturers away. Two quick things to mention here, Ross. I think when I say there's a number of us, uh, I, I mention that instead of saying there's a lot of us, because I do think those who crave, continue to crave innovation, pursuit of new boundaries, pursuit of pushing proverbial envelopes. I don't know if there's many of us left in motor racing and or IndyCar specifically. This was once the thing. It's what was our stock and trade of, wow, we're doing something unique. We're showing up with new ideas. These ideas may fail. They may succeed. But we are, we view Indianapolis as the testing ground for human creativity and also, obviously, driver skill. I, I fear Matt. Matt, I fear Ross, uh, maybe a little bit linked with Matt's question about new manufacturers. Could it, you know, what might we do to keep the ones that we got interested? I don't know if this is a path even they want the ones that are here. Uh, I'm hearing nothing about, we want to go chase records. We want to have more freedom to innovate. Uh, the only thing I hear is let's keep doing it. Uh, let's keep the cost way down. Let's just make sure it's relevant, right? The size of the motor, the type of the motors in line with what we're selling on the road. But beyond that, yeah, we're, we're, we're here more for marketing, uh, value than R and D development. I just think Ross, I fear that this spirit is gone because it's been, taken from us is that the way to put it it's been stripped away from indy 500 and even indy car culture for so long we have to go back to the you know 2001 2 era really the last remnants of cart to point to a time where real differences were seen different ideas were allowed it's not a surprise almost 20 years later that with it having been gone and drummed out that you know, we kind of have spec cars and most people don't look at the cars as things to alter and evolve and experiment with. They're like, sadly, what's seen in NASCAR. They're tools. They're tools for the drivers to go around the track with and to entertain us. They're not tied directly to the automotive industry, R&D, future tech, none of it. So I love the idea. I'd love to hear that fans and manufacturers and the series alike all want to stoke this flame that's been extinguished for so long. I just don't know if there's many of us who feel that anymore. And it certainly doesn't seem like enough for a change to happen. 
So uh, keep doing the jet fuel fumes and keep speaking it into existence. I hope it could happen. Yeah, this just might be lost to time, though, my friend. Um, Let's see. Mike Stoops, Marshall, back in June, Roger Penske said he wants to add races to the IndyCar schedule. Before owning the series, he was very adamant about keeping the number to 16 to 16 or 17 races. What do you think changes mine other than becoming the series owner? Well, I'd say becoming the series owner is the thing here, Mike, for sure. So, Roger, we know for a couple years, and I can't tell you if it's changed dramatically, but in the years leading up to owning the series, I can't say that all of his entries were fully funded by corporate partners. And costs were certainly something that he was looking to manage heavily. It's not like taking over the series and the track has now changed that mindset of, well, let's just spend more money and go nuts. Would say, though, that he sees that this business he has created has more potential to grow and be prosperous if you can go to new venues, more venues. Totally a situation, I would say, Mike, of which side of the table he has been sitting on before as the guy having to find money to go play, like many other team owners, fully in the don't make us find more money to play camp. Now that he sees that IndyCar and even IMS wanting to hold more races there makes could be a, a good move business-wise, I think that's why he has changed his approach. The link here that can make this feasible is he also seems to recognize that in order to do more races, more money needs to come back to the teams through the leader circle. So I can't tell you exactly how that would be achieved. This is just taking more money out of the Speedway's big events and spending that with the teams. Uh, is it finding corporate partners to help fund uh, that leader circle payout? Again, I can't tell you exactly, but I do know that the vague formula of the more races we go to, the more leader circle money you get has been a thing. And so if Roger is willing to add enticements to the leader circle to make going to these races not something where teams are hemorrhaging money to rise to the challenge, but actually able to meet them and not having to lose a lot of sleep over it, I think growing IndyCar's footprint makes sense. Key item here, though, I would say, Mike, is this has to be additive. So not just adding of races, but additive in terms of where you go. Is it a new street race in, name a town or region that has a lot of people, has a demographic that fits, and has some sort of history with a passion for motor racing or automotive industry or something? If we're just going to go back to Sears Point, Sonoma Raceway. Again, I love it. Those are my people. But we could add another race there. It's not going to add any fans. It's not going to be a financial success. There's nothing there to do. 
but are there other tracks? Maybe ones that IndyCar has been to in the past, hasn't in a while, but I'm thinking more new events. Those tend to be street races. Are there new street race venues we could go to? We know that those also don't have a high probability of lasting for more than a couple of years, but regardless, if you're trying to grow a thing, um, you know, just like we had, excuse me, uh, just like we had with sad boys to men's question of, Hey, I'm kind of new to this and yeah, I'm wanting to get into it more and more. Uh, it's those types of folks that you're hoping to put yourself in front of. And it is to get in front of folks who haven't seen you or maybe barely know you, but just to entertain. And so if it's going to a Kansas speedway or a Kentucky speedway or whatever, and you're talking about 5,000 people, 10,000 people show up. I don't know if you do anything really positive or meaningful to move the needle. So if they're going to do it, I would say please do it in a place where you believe you can build new fans and a sizable amount of them. Uh, where are we going to go for what do we have? Got three left here. Let me look at where we are on the clock. All right. Uh, let me see if we can get through all three. Going to go with Cade Falling MP. I have what I believe is a crazy but wonderful idea. NASCAR is a highly successful throwback weekend in Darlington every year. Throwback graphics, paint schemes. It's a really cool event and a race I watch every year. I believe IndyCar should do this as well. What about a throwback weekend in Iowa? Um, mentions you could do a lot of the same things. Um practice in the morning hot laps heat races and a feature race saturday night following by practices on sunday another feature race with a field inverted from the night before i know it'll probably never happen in a million years but it sounds like a good way to really turn the iowa weekend which seems not to do the greatest into a big event and a way for indycar to pay homage to their sprint car heritage all the best to your wife thanks for everything you do thanks Cade. i'm with you man totally with you this is yet another one of those things where crazily IndyCar, which is supposed to be cutting edge and this and that, and the, you know, NASCAR has been doing this for a while. It's popular. Uh, I don't know why IndyCar can't or hasn't. Uh, I do love the kind of blending of IndyCar history using the short oval to do it, uh, paying homage to sprint car history. Granted, I don't know if the average fan would really grasp a lot of that. I know the most hardcore fans would, but, Again, if we're talking numbers, if you're doing a, a throwback weekend with IndyCar and a lot of folks in the field have uh, liveries that folks are going, I couldn't tell you. I have no connection to that. It's too obscure. Um, yeah, that might be something to think about. But, yeah, I'm with you. There's all kinds of weekends IndyCar should be doing, all kinds of celebrations, all kinds of things that break out of the proverbial box. And yet again, I will place my faith, Cade, in Penske Entertainment in the future that this might indeed ever happen. All right, we got two to go. We're going to start with Kyle H.B. Donnelly. Had a great question. Jer Hildebrand last week. Marshall, can't agree more that IndyCar's outreach to America's people of color is sorely lacking. And listening to your interview with George Mack only drives that point further home. One thing I think could help with diversity amongst fans would be adjusting the weekend non-race slash non-racing entertainment at Indianapolis. 
Says the current formula seems to be 70s, 80s, 90s, rock on carb day, country on Saturday, EDM on Sunday. Uh, I'm sure each genre has its African-American fans, but I certainly think those fan bases um, of looking more like you and I for those musical offerings. Why couldn't they bring in some good hip-hop, rap, or R&B? Have Marco Andretti go through his contact list and play some requests. He says, do the same thing with the youths, the youth and the snake pit, and hope some people who wouldn't normally come to the track might trip over the race cars and like what they see. Hashtag me personally. I believe it's an easy short-term solution for getting more African-American representation in the infield and stands. Uh, while someone goes through years of effort to train some young drivers of color um, or convince some African-American-owned sponsors that IndyCar is a wise investment. Yeah, I mean, I hear you, Kyle. I, I wouldn't want to maybe go as stereotypical as saying, well, if we invite black artists and we're going to get a lot of black people, um, you know, IndyCar, Indy 500 might have a little bit of a reputation for not being an event where people of color necessarily feel super comfortable at all times. I would also admit that when I do see the, Hey, here are the bands coming to play thing announced each year. I think with the exception of one, uh, truly a single band over the last seven or eight years, every single one I've been like, Oh, okay. Not really my cup of tea. Uh, and I'm a white guy and those bands are supposedly signed to cater to folks like me. So I don't know. Um, I can tell you though, that, yeah, there is no doubt that when it comes to the musical and entertainment choices, it does seem to fit IndyCar's demographic almost perfectly. Um, yeah, I would just say that maybe billing this as a concert to come out to, you know, well, how's this? What kind of backlash do we get? What kind of hatred do we get? What kind of comments do we get when half the musical acts are now all of a sudden slash or quote urban contemporary? Um, yeah. I don't disagree with the mindset here of trying to think about the entertainment being offered and it appealing to more than one specific demographic. It's been that way for a while. I've never understood it. I've raised the topic once or twice, not necessarily all the way at the top, but with some, you know, mid-level folks saying, yeah, I'm just sharing that like, you know, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea to maybe, you know, stray from the same formula year after year. And it didn't really seem to go anywhere, but, it's a good one here, Kyle. I don't have an answer for it. Uh, I, I don't know if changing up the musical acts and getting Marco involved uh, is going to significantly alter the palette of colors seen inside the track, but it's not a bad topic of conversation to explore. Um, there, there's some 
more serious initiatives that could be held here without a doubt on the family level, kids level, so many levels where folks of a lot of different colors, women in particular, uh, might feel like, hey, this is truly awesome. Uh, I can go with my daughter and sit in on or contribute to or take part in some really cool STEM and just educational-related things, uh, athletic things, future racers things, help teach my young kid whatever it is to go around a little go-kart track for the first time to do, you know, there's a lot of different things that I would think could be done at the Indy 500. Uh, Some pretty cool history things. A lot of things that could be done that might build stronger bonds with a more diverse audience. Entertainment's obviously an easy, like you said, hey, you might even realize there's a race going on. Uh, Music, entertainment, those are good gateways to get folks in. I just know that if that's the only hook, then I don't know how sustainable that might be. And if the hook is maybe folks of color, etc., would come out and enjoy the band and then maybe become a racing fan again, you hope, but that's a lot of maybes. Could we do things that are a little more engaged? a little more directly related. Um, I think that's where my preference would fall, but can't say if that's right or wrong, but I do appreciate your question. Let's close here with our man, Brett Ross, MP, pick one NBA player that you think would make a good IndyCar driver. Hashtag. As my voice stumbles and falls in the final question, how perfect. Uh, hashtag me personally. I think Tim Duncan would be a good IndyCar driver if they could fit him into one. That's just a beautiful call. The big fundamental. He was my favorite player for ever. Just love Tim Duncan. And that's maybe sad if you compare him to the flashier players of his era, but just loved the guy for being so good so consistent his bank shots uh, i was a guy who loved bank shots so that just drew me to him in particular but boy so who there are two that stand out steph curry i think we know that man's hand-eye coordination reflexes aim, precision, no one better. So if we're talking about putting someone into a race car where speed and precision and accuracy and consistency are all required, that's, uh, I think Steph Curry might be the easiest transition. The other one who is all these things and more, but just an athletic freak would be Kawhi Leonard. Now, I don't know if we could fit him in the car. His hands, I think, would be a problem. He has, like, the biggest hands on the planet. Um, He might need two steering wheels um, because I don't think he could fit both hands on one. That's a guy who has all of these attributes, uh, or should say almost all the attributes of a Steph Curry 
but just seems to have some other hard-to-define things. If you look at the best IndyCar drivers ever, 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 most tend to have, Brett, some hard-to-define skills where you say, oh, all right, you know, there's the basics. There's just something different. You know, it could be physical, mental. We know that those two are you know, so interrelated and, and connected so heavily in athletic endeavors. But there's just something about Kawhi where you go, ooh. Like with Steph, I could see him being an excellent front-running IndyCar driver. With Kawhi, would say the same, but there's also the little bit of that like, He's got something kind of special, magical, that could take him to places we don't fully grasp. Perfect example, if we're talking modern, modern, Colton Herta. Man, not only is he good, we don't know how good he could be, nor does he. The, the ceiling, there is no ceiling that we can see. And I think with Steph, I think we have a feeling for what he is, who he is. And again, he's one of the all-time greats. I think he'd be a perfect fit for IndyCar, but I don't think there'd be a lot of revelations. Kawhi? Yeah, it just feels like we would see some things, some passes, some outbreaking maneuvers, some car control, just stuff where you go, huh. New Gardens, also that way, where, man, he's got that, they all have the Duncan-esque big fundamental base, but there's just some extra special things that come out. Will Power. In qualifying, for example, another one where you go, where, how, (laughs) where'd that come from? His rivals are left there going, what? Dude, I've got the same car. It could be his teammate. I got the same car, same team, same everything. All got all your data. I know exactly how you do everything you do. And I can't figure out how you do everything you do. It's that kind of stuff. So. I'm going to go with Steph, and I'm going to go with Kawhi, and I'm going to go produce this podcast and get it put up and get it done. So let me say thank you to you all again for your great questions. Let me say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Boy, let me say thanks to TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. You know, I forgot to mention that Robert Wickens did an iRace or two using our Marshall Pruitt podcast livery. Uh, I think it was in a Indie Pro 2000 uh, that he raced. And <laughs> that was from a livery designed by our pal Nathan Barnt. That's on tradingpaints.com. So uh, that's one item I forgot from the beginning of the show. I just thought I'd throw it in because I thought it was hilarious. Another listener mentioned that he was racing with Wiccan's and show a little screen cap of it and I saw it and I texted Wickens and I'm like, dude, you racing using your, you know, my stupid livery? Wouldn't that slow you down? He's like, no, we're great. I'm like, how fun. So anyways, a little extra tidbit at the end. Thank you for listening. If you haven't, check out marshallpruittpodcast.com and all the different ways you can subscribe. I'll speak to you here tomorrow with Michael Shank.